Before we recorded this week's podcast, the Russian invasion of Ukraine had begun. We at Bebop Tabletop are disgusted at the senseless attack and stand with the people of Ukraine. There are links to Ukrainian charities in the episode description, and we encourage you to donate if you're able. Please take care of yourselves and your loved ones. Three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Andrew Wu. I'm Lee Jo John. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game you can play. Let's jam. What's up, video maniacs? Welcome to Session 18 of Bebop Tabletop, Speak Like a Child. I don't always introduce myself, huh? I almost never do. But I'm Andrew Wu, and I'm here to tell you about Speak Like a Child. That feels weird. With me, as usual, is Mr. Lee Joe John. Lee Joe, how are you doing today? I just watched this episode, and I'm very sad. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, um, welcome to Bebop Tabletop, the one that made us cry. This episode was really good, Lee Joe. <laughs> like, I don't, when, when a cartoon makes me cry, that's how you know it's a good show. What I like about anime and there are a lot of problems with anime, don't get me wrong, <laughs> is that it can invoke such human feelings from such fantastical settings. And the idea that an amnesia storyline, you know, something that feels like ripped out of Futurama, kind of like a soap opera, could make me feel these things is honestly just it's 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 a compliment to the creators, it's a compliment to the design, it's a compliment to the the to art in general, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also a testament to the music, right? That music just, ooh, it just pulls at you so hard and just makes you makes you makes you ready to tear up immediately. And it's funny, it it comes off at the very end of an episode that is mostly silly. We have Faye gambling all of her savings. We have a dog answering a phone. We have two of arguably the smartest guys beating up a Betamax player. So (laughs) the idea that this can end on such a sad note is always so interesting to me. I think it's the only way it works, right? And um, you have to kind of pull the rug out from us, right? It's We expected... A regular episode of Cowboy Bebop, and in the end, what we got was tears. I expected nothing, and yet I'm still disappointed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lijo, are we are we ready for a summary? <sighs> Bring it. A drone delivers a mysterious package for Faye. Sixty-three hundred Wulongs cash on delivery. Faye, fearing someone was after her, uses her famous disappearing act and flies away. Jet considers running explosives and biochemical tests on the package, but Spike opens it up to find a beta video cassette. They visit an antique store, and an excited man helps them try to play the tape. Spike helps fix the playback with percussive maintenance, and the machine is destroyed. Looking for another machine, Ed leads them to Earth and an underground electrical museum. Traveling through dangerous, wet, tight spaces, Jet and Spike bring back an antique TV and the wrong kind of VCR. Meanwhile, Faye wins and loses at the dog track. After calling Ed, Faye decides they miss her, and she comes back. Another drone arrives and delivers a beta player. Jet asks Faye to cover the 31,500 Wulong delivery fees. She refuses, and the rest of the crew watch the tape. The tape shows a young Faye from the before times, encouraging her future self to do her best. Faye sees the video, too, but remembers none of it. She can only cry. I'm crying, Lee Joe. This is making me sad. It's a good thing no one can see us cry. In space, no one can see you cry. Are we putting that in the box? We're putting that in the box of this, right? <laughs> uh, no, yeah, like we were talking about earlier, the, the heartstring pulling is in full force here. Right, The whole... Uh, the whole episode, Faye was already sad, right? I, and I think it was something that, you know, I, I have vague recollections of where this was going when we were watching it. And I, I, just the way Faye was presented when she was flying back, I think she was like, like carelessly drinking like a juice box or something, right? When she was flying back to the ship and uh, starting with those 
that low of losing at the ponies track, right? And like that, just this kind of sad cycle. Well, this is the first time we kind of like we're shown the sad cycle of Faye's current life. I don't know if I'd exactly say that. I think that as we have gone through what eighteen episodes, nineteen episodes mm-hmm. of Cowboy Bebop, her cycle is pretty clear. She she helps because she'll get a little bit of the reward. She mm-hmm. immediately gambles it all away, and then she kind of comes. I don't know if crawling back is the correct term, because she definitely puts on airs as she comes on mm-hmm. in. And even, especially in this episode, she seems happy that Spike and Jet are, what were the words, sad and despondent? I don't remember what Ed used. <laughs> but yeah. like when <laughs> when she realizes that they're sad and she thinks, oh, they must be sad that I'm gone. Like that triggers that, all right, well, maybe I will head back. Like, and I don't know if that's ego. I don't know if that's just kind of a coping mechanism to go back to the only thing she has family or she can call a family. I'm not sure. Yeah. That's what I mean though, is that we, we know that that's what's happening. It's implied that that's what's happening. But now seeing it from her perspective, you know, essentially following her through that cycle is worse, right? Like it, it's it's now seeing the truth that that she feels empty in this life, that she feels stuck in this life and really doesn't have a way out of it, right? Like even when she comes back in the beginning to the bebop, like her first thought, you know, it's time for Faye's famous disappearing act. She's done this before. She'll do it again. This is famous, right? This is this is her move. When the creditors come calling, it's time to go. And her first her first stop is the is the is the gamble place, right? Like it, it's not a it's not something she has nowhere else to go. She has nowhere else to go, right? It's the only thing that's familiar to her, right? She doesn't she doesn't go and seek, like, a church or a religious place. The thing that is closest to home for her is gambling, right? Outside yeah. of outside of the bebop. Yeah, I, I don't even think she expects to win, right? It, it's more like she just wants to feel something. Oh, that's all. We're, we're now, you know, dancing dangerously close to the concept of addiction. And, you know, whether it is gambling or alcohol or whatever... It is, it is a coping mechanism, right? Interesting. I've not thought of the Cowboy Bebop crew in terms of addiction. Yeah. They're all, well, you know, definitely most of them are smokers, drinkers, gamblers. Are they addicted to the rush of cowboying, right? Like, I mean, we've talked a lot about the world being set up against the little guy here. We're, again, a cyberpunk dystopia in the future, a space western. And you don't have to be a cowboy, right? Like, that, that's the thing. We we decided earlier on that you have, like, the, the world is leaving very little choice except to become a cowboy to pay off your debts or to become, uh, to, to become solvent, right? To, to make money. But maybe it's not that they only have to do this. Maybe it's an addiction to danger. You have to chase that serotonin somewhere, right? And it, sometimes it comes from mind-altering drugs or, you know, gambling. But risking your life is the ultimate gamble, right? And that's what they're doing. It's Keep in mind, we've talked about how forcing the common man into crime, basically, is kind of the the modus operandi of this entire world this kind of cyberpunk hyper capitalist world is where you know you oppress these people to a point where they have to do these kind of life threatening jobs but that doesn't mean that they don't enjoy it a little bit <laughs> they should be paying us for the privilege <laughs> good lord that's uh <laughs> that's dark man <laughs> <laughs> I think we can talk about player engagement or at least group engagement if we're gonna, if we're thinking about this episode holistically 
the reason this episode is so emotion-inducing is due to the fact that we care so much about a character that, honestly, what, might only truly have an hour or so in screen time? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, Wu, you've played a character in my games, as I've DM'd, and uh, what what hooks you? What 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 brings you into the into the world? Like in terms of like my my kind of engagement with the world, right? Um, there. So I would I would say that anybody who's willing to to role play tabletop RPG in general, you there's already a a certain amount of buy in, and whether mm-hmm. you are committed to role play or you're not, you will. There are some things that you're you're looking for, right? And mm, sure. sometimes it's engaging stories, sometimes it's clever puzzles, sometimes mm. it's, you know, riveting combat. And some role-playing games have a lot of that, and some role-playing games do not. We've played several different role-playing games. Of Among those, what really kind of tickles your fancy? And I, I hate that mm. phrase, but... Right now, I can't think of a, a better one. Tickles your fantasy RPG. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, I hate it. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think so. This and and maybe this is why I'm also helping design an RPG of my own. But I think the thing that gets me most is the world building. Uh, Lejo, this week I wrote a song for your campaign. Right, that's that's the kind of. Like, hey, and, and you know, that came about because of a, well, okay, so uh, we're going to, now we're going to have to put the song here at the end of this episode, right? Because we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, something happened in game where a NPC rival of one of the characters in our party was mentioned and had saved the town, right? And, you know, I wasn't even in this scene, right? I was, I was waiting for my turn, basically, to to have my own scene later. But something about that moment just, and, and something about uh, our, our party member having a rival is hilarious to me. That, that you know, that tickles my fantasy RPG. That, that is the thing that, like, really makes me feel like, ooh, I'm engaged. Ooh, I want to know more about this. Ooh, I want to expand upon this. So finding out that this rival is now the hero of this town and that this shopkeeper, whatever, is super in- excited about this guy. He's like, oh, this guy probably has songs written about him now. This guy is a hero in this town. So what does that look like? What does the world now respond to that bit of information? Uh, this also kind of grew from previously, right? My character was obsessed with like the image of our party, right? I- uh, my character wanted to make our party look good through the use of songs, through specifically through the act of patronage, right? Uh, she would basically pay off, fantasy right? propaganda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we would. I would give fifteen pieces of gold to a bard so that uh, so that we'd have very nice songs written about us, so that by the time we got to the next town, maybe people will receive us better, right? Uh, that that concept is hilarious to me. That that. I mean, I'm always chasing the funny, right? That that is usually that, that's me as a person. I think that that's more of my own moral failing, but I, I think those are the things that get me, right? Uh, we can't get that in video games generally, right? Because if you wanted to, it is uh, it, scripted, pre-programmed, right? Like it, it, it's very difficult to have a game with that kind of system in it. So since we can do this in our game, I'm very intrigued by manipulating the world in that way. Does that make me weird? Maybe a little, but I don't think so. <laughs> in the in the few years I've been a game master, dungeon master, the thing I I kind of keep coming back to is games are not necessarily about the world and the main story. Games are about the players and the, the characters mm-hmm. they build. It is it, the world may be ending, but if your players don't care about it, why are we even here? Mm-hmm. When you have a bunch of characters, you should, you really, and I joke that I never read backstories, <laughs> but you, you should at least skim them because the, <laughs> bare, the bare minimum, you should have a sense of what their main motivation is 
And also, as they play a session or two, you'll get an idea of what their character is like. And that is probably the most fun thing to play off of. Some people need to go rescue their lover. Some people are trying to collect a sacred relic. Some people uh, are looking for heroism and respect or money. So the the best thing you can do is give them some source of conflict. Mm -hmm. The character that Wu is talking about regarding uh, the rival character, he's basically just Gary Oak compared to (laughs) the original player's Ash Ketchum. He is better in every way, and it should, and I'm trying to slowly infuriate the character in a funny way. I would never actually want to make my player character mad, but it does give something to play off. Because if you don't give them something to play off, they're just going to be uh they're just going to be a video game hero, basically. They've got some scripted things to say, and that's it. So in improv, that's called the game, right? In when you're on stage improvising, effectively what you're trying to do especially early on is establish some sort of connection. Cause the first thing people, it's true. Like the first thing the audience wants to see is an understanding of who you are to each other. Like what is your relationship? How do you, what are the norms of your interaction? Right. That, that's the first thing you're kind of establishing in order to make that funny though, you need to then get to the game and the game is the thing that is the weird hook. The thing that is, an interesting dynamic, right? And it's sort of the the comedy button, the way I think of it. So what you do is like, oh, every time, yeah, people think it's funny that these two are rivals, right? In my case, I think it's funny when these two are rivals. The players playing the character also think it's funny, right? Uh, please make sure. <laughs> the thing is like when you then need like a little bit of a push or want to evoke kind of that, like, ooh, I want to make them feel like Hey, if they don't save the world now, this other dude's gonna do it. So you better you better poke that a little bit. You press the button, right? You play the game. You make them feel something uh, because you know this worked before. Because you know this is a dynamic that is interesting, right? Uh, the like the most simplistic version of that would be like a catchphrase. Right? If you boil something down to, oh, you know. Uh, the old old sitcoms, right, have this like, well, we need a laugh here, so I'm just going to say, did I do that? And everybody laughs, and we cut the commercial, right? Like, it, it's a nice, easy way out. It's a thing people understand and expect, but it works, right? It, it's, it's reductive, but it works. Uh, when you're at the table, I suppose that's, you know, in this case, we're using a rivalry. Uh, what, what other kind of tools exist for this? I think in general, just conflict, right? There is internal and there's external conflict. There is... There are, you know, external conflict is just simply something is physically stopping you from doing something, right? It's mm-hmm. it's the monster has that relic, or your wife has been, you know, spirited away by a goddess or something. It gives you a motivation to do something because something directly of important to you is now not where you want it to be, right? <laughs> sure. Alternatively, internal conflict is a little bit harder to develop insecurities or fears or whatever, there's going to be something that you are not going to be comfortable in doing. Or alternatively, you uh, something that you know strikes that envy or jealousy in you. And mm. I you know, rival characters are fun like that. Even the even the you know spike cowboy andy of it all and all that other mm. stuff that we will come down to in the middle or down the road or even just you know backtracking spike and vicious they are mm-hmm. they're two people who who want the same thing and they can both cannot have it at the same time right mm-hmm. so that's 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 the beauty of rivals but again it can be just simply dangling something that the player wants off in the distance you know carrot and stick and all that mm-hmm. i think uh, I, I was reminded of something I don't remember when we talked about it, but uh, we have one one player that is all about the loot, right? All about collecting treasure, growing 
you know, you know, growing their coffers, essentially. And But they're also playing a paladin, right? They're playing somebody that is of a holy order. And I like that idea. We, we never, you know, you never actually implemented this yet, but like, I like the idea that at some point to make them have to face a difficult choice, right? Like of, and you know, they're also actually very loyal to the party. That, that's another, another aspect of that character. And this idea that at some point, maybe they have to make a hard choice between like, oh, here's all the money you could ever want. Like this will buy you a, whatever. I don't know what the motivation is, but like whatever, you know, this gives you enough. But if you do that, you're going to have to sacrifice one of your friends, right? <laughs> like something, something set up that way is just like, oh, you, you're putting into conflict two of the ideals of this person, right? And then now the player has to make a choice, right? Who are they really? What, what, what does it mean now? And then, you know, the fun thing about RPGs and long form art, like television also, is that you can, you know, play with the consequences of that for a long time, right? I'm, you know, uh, Jacob Jordles is still not happy with Shade, right? Like, <laughs> he left him behind, and it's not, uh, one day we'll see what that conflict is. But I, I'm, you know, as a player, I'm very fascinated to see. I'm very engaged to see what happens now, right? And bringing that back to Cowboy Bebop, we've seen multiple times where the party, the crew will take the selfish option, not always the altruistic, not always the uh, cooperative goal. They'll they'll straight up vanish to go deal with their ex girlfriend, right? That's mm-hmm. they they do these things because it's the human thing to do, right? You're going to value yourself often a lot more than your friends or your found family, and that's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a human thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I, so you mentioned the, the, uh, you know, a player versus all the gold you can think. And I still think that's a little bit too easy of a choice because if you're mm-hmm. playing a quote unquote good character, you might be a little tempted, but you're going to go with the good option nine times out of 10, right? Mm-hmm. I think, <laughs> I think you're, it is much harder, but I think the more interesting choice is one that would maybe draw that to a 50-50 shot. You know, maybe, you know, maybe it would greatly inconvenience your friends, but it wouldn't like kill them. But it would be a lot of it'd be a good chunk of change, you know, something. I thought you were going to go the other way and make it so that whatever the thing they valued was even more. But yeah, this is funnier you, to, you could to make it too. like a. I, I love that. That's much funnier to me, actually. This idea is like, oh, I could do this thing, but it's going to impose like a slight inconvenience on everybody for the entire session. Or I could take a thousand gold, right? It's just like, ah. I mean, that that is Faye, right? She yeah. she yeah. takes, she takes, she, she's stolen from the crew. Uh, I mean, it's not particularly a lot of money, but she's definitely inconvenienced them when they have to go hunt her down again. You know, mm-hmm. they, she, she does that and it is a little bit endearing <laughs> watching it happen. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a good thing by any means, but it's definitely, it's definitely Faye. <laughs> That's a fun way to do it, right? Like, I mean, that is, I think that is the, the core of player engagement is, yeah, playing, playing to the character's particular strengths or foibles, right? Like it's. Making them, and you know, this is why you should read my backstory, Legion. Uh, but <laughs> never that. <laughs> this is this is how you get that information, right? Uh, it also comes across. You know, it doesn't have to be written down. You can talk to players and ask them. I wonder, like, if if you sent, if you ever sent me a text and just said, "Hey, uh, your character, you know, wh- what would your character choose between these two things?" Right? Or like, what's your character's favorite? I don't know. God in the universe of Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> you know, whatever, right? Something, something like that. Like, uh, that would be funny. Like, I <laughs> think that'd be hilarious to just get a text like that and be like, oh, I'd, let me think about it. Um, actually, uh, or another dungeon master in a game I'm playing uh, has done that, actually. Now that I think about it, he's uh, texted, oh, I know what it was. Uh, we were picking clothes for a fancy ball that our characters were attending so that he asked us to describe 
what clothes would you get tailored? <laughs> right? What, how should they look? What's the description of them? And that was fun. Like that, that was a nice little moment of, of like, oh, yeah, I had to think about it from my character's perspective. What do they want? What would they wear? What is, um, I ended up with lots of pockets and the whole cloak was able to fold into like a bag to carry more stuff so that I didn't have to wear it all the time because that's what my character would do. I guess, yeah. I mean, that that's assuming this level of buy-in. I, I don't think it's worth time to discuss, like if, if you have players that are not willing to even put that much buy-in, it's probably a different kind of discussion, right? Like you probably just shouldn't be playing together <laughs> at that point, or you should be, uh, like we talked about with Cole last week, actually, right? It's... Uh, you don't have the same expectations at that point, so maybe it's time to play a different game. I've said before, and I think I think we've all said it before at one point, is that some DMs are not going to mesh with certain parties, and some parties will not mesh with certain DMs. If you do not communicate what you want, you can't you can't possibly get mad at other people hmm. because they don't do exactly what you were thinking they were going to do. If you want something that is RP heavy, you you've got to communicate that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not perfect. I you know there there's always going to be a level that some people are going to be comfortable with, you know, a certain level of combat, a certain level of RP. And uh when it comes time for you to ma- to game master to dungeon master, you're going to screw up quite a few times. It's it is kind of the name of the game here, so don't worry about that too much. But if you continue to learn and grow, eventually you'll be able to release a product that you're somewhat proud of. I've had, <laughs> <laughs> I still feel like a pretty amateurish uh, dungeon master, and I've been DMing for a couple of years now. But there are sometimes where there are moments, or there are sessions that just fill me with so much joy and you know Wood mentioned that song off of a dumb one sentence thing i said he created lyrics to a song and then our other party members made jack and meg were on the yeah, show so. yeah jack and meg who were on the show uh made it into an actual song and i was smiling from ear to ear like an idiot like i was driving home from work and uh, just this it, the beauty of, <laughs> I guess, you know, to make a joke, it, it's the power of friendship, right? It, <laughs> we did it! We did We're it! Friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that is always what's powerful and that's what's wonderful about tabletop RPGs, about just being together at a table. If you have the chance to do that, cherish it. I don't know when I'm going to write you another song, Lee. So. I'll have to do something worth a song, right? <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that we've wanted to talk about and that we've been developing kind of in parallel to the show, uh, we do actual work on the game when we're not just recording podcasts now, um, is what? the character. Yeah, I know. It's weird. <laughs> uh, it turns out, Lee Joe, it turns out that you cannot create an entire uh, tabletop RPG game uh, just by talking about it in a podcast. You actually have to do work and write things down. Yes, uh, dear listeners, we cut out a lot of the garbage that is uh, brainstorming. And some of it is interesting, and sometimes I do regret that we're not recording when that happens. But most of it is garbage, and you are better most off of it not is listening garbage. to it. Yeah. yeah, don't listen to our garbage. Um, but one of the things we, we did develop outside was our character creator. So uh, last week, uh, Cole mentioned that he built a character called Saxy Noir. And the reason he was able to do so was because he was able to use our new process of creating characters. We've talked in the past about how we want characters to be built on three pillars, uh, which we're now referring to as the past the present, and the future. The reasoning behind this is that we're looking at these as the themes for designing your character. So by answering the same questions of what happened in your past, 
you're deciding, oh, who was I before? Who am I now? And who am I trying to be? And that this should influence the type of character that you are. We've also talked previously about our skill system. So we aren't doing the traditional like six stats of just like strength, intelligence, constitution. Uh, instead, we're going with a, a looser collection of skills. So effectively, like these are the things you're able to do and not like a general stat that covers uh, a whole bunch of these things. We've written for now something like 60 skills, right? It's, it's a pretty, pretty extensive list. And these cover things like uh, how your ability to fly, your ability to shoot. And they also cover things like, well, how good are you at convincing people about things and how empathetic are you or, you know, how much, how much do you know your scotch, right? It, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. We've now tied these together so that as you develop your character, you look at your three pillars and in the process of determining that pillar, in the process of choosing the, your characteristics, right? I don't know what's a good way to phrase this. Basically, as you build your, the pillar of, you know, that of who this character is, you're also kind of selecting the skills that would coincide with this pillar, right? Yeah. So it, it's like you are deciding, if we're, if for, you know, for example, if we're looking at the past, you were going to select, uh, we've determined for now at least, seven skills out of the list to be the things that represent your life in the past. Uh, for this week's episode, we wanted to talk about Faye, since we're looking at Faye's past in some sense. Uh, we should build Faye out as a character in our system. So let's talk about the past. Faye is a little bit of a different beast compared to the rest of the Bebop characters, as we don't know anything about her past, and she doesn't know anything about her past, sadly, and that's why she cries at the end of this episode. Uh, but from where she begins in you know the, the world of Cowboy Bebop, after she is thawed out, uh, she effectively is betrayed and becomes a, you know, a, a con artist. She, she gambles, she cheats people out of her, out of money and she, you know, racks up debts. Mm -hmm. So we split up these 60 some skills into different groups and I made the, the groupings ballad skills and boogie skills. Uh, they're, they're terrible names and, you know, they're vaguely music related, but if I can think of something better, I will. And ballad skills are more like the RP side. That's your persuasion, your deception, that sort of thing. And boogie skills are more action oriented. That's your, you know, hand to hand combat or your ability to treat wounds on the fly, that sort of thing. Without going through all of it, I'm going to name seven skills that she picks up after being thought out and becomes this kind of con artist. So I picked confidence, persuasion, deception, projectile weapons, distraction, flight, and sleight of hand. You know, yeah. traditional kind of roguish bard sort of thing, if we're, if we're kind of leaning towards D&D. &D. Right, yeah, and, and in our case, too, projectile weapons are like guns. Yes, we split up the several different types of ways to injure people. There, you know, there is violence, which is kind of, you know, kind of an intimidation factor, but there will also be uh, melee weapons versus improvised weapons versus explosive, explosives, that sort of thing. So if you want to make, you know, somebody who's really into bombs, that is mm -hmm. definitely an option where you don't have to feel like too much of a generalist. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, this collection of skills makes sense for past Faye because these are the things that in the three years or so since uh, we saw in My Funny Valentine, these are the skills that we saw her possess when we meet her on, on and the casino, right? Like she is, you know, she, you know, she's there on a lie. She, 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 uh, 
is able to sneak that poker chip around and she does fly, right? So I, I think that and is able to do a little bit of combat. So what does it mean that we pick these skills? Right? So we, we pick these seven skills. What that means is that Faye is... We chose the word familiar. Uh, we are indicating that Faye is familiar with these things, right? So uh, instead of being unskilled, which in our system means you roll a D4 on any of those checks, uh, she is now familiar with these things, and that means that she gets to bump the dice up one level. So now when a situation arises and Faye needs to uh, move a poker chip secretly across the table, a sleight of hand check, uh, instead of rolling a D4 like a normal person would, she instead gets to roll a D6. She's been bumped one level. All the other skills that the character sheet provides are still actionable. A, A player can use any of those skills. But by default, they all have a D4 rating. Like everybody is unskilled at these things. Only the skills you choose are better. And no matter how bad or how good you are at a skill, there's always going to be some leeway. The idea that we still want the exploding dice means that theoretically you can you can explode your dice all the way up into the 20s and higher. It's going to be one heck of a feat, but it's it's feasible depends how much you want to gamble there should be no fear of gambling <laughs> so when we talk about the present fay so this would be the fay that we see on the bebop from the moment that we meet her and what skills she now has that she didn't have in the past and describes you know who she is now when we move into the present in addition to being able to select seven skills Uh, Something you can do instead of selecting a new skill is improve one of your previous skills. So uh, in the first level, in in the past, you have to select seven completely different skills. But now you can select one of the skills that you've selected before. So so we mentioned before that it was a familiar skill. So uh, Faye is familiar at sleight of hand. And that meant that she could roll a d6. But if we wanted to now, we could say, hey, let's bump that up one more level in the present. Use one of our seven points and bump that to a D8. Um, In our case, we did not choose to do that with sleight of hand. But we did choose persuasion, deception, and projectile weapons, kind of referencing the fact that she is now uh, more capable. uh, You know, she's, she's a more practiced con artist, essentially. She's more able to persuade people to do what she wants and to lie about who she is. Right? In addition, we see her just, you know, I, I think it's, it's kind of a mechanical thing, but right, you know, she's more capable of firing her guns at people more effectively. So that is also bumped up. We've upgraded those three skills. So now those are practice. Since we have seven total things to improve, uh, we still have four more skills to choose. Uh, in our case, we chose four new skills, and we went with disguise, addictive personality, and kind of referencing the fact that she's now uh, addicted to danger and addicted to you know smoking, psychology, and lockpicking. So effectively, uh, you know the she's understood. I, you know, the way I view it is that like she she saw what happened with Whitney. Right? And, and is now able to say, oh, the reason that I fell for these things was because they understood my personality, my, my psychology. So, so I need to learn that too. Like that's the way to survive in this world. Same with disguise, right? Like she has to hide who she is sometimes. And some of the skills are left a little bit on the vague side so that you can have a little bit of wiggle room if you think it's an appropriate role. And some are a little bit more specific. So I'm giving a lot of leeway to GMs to make the the judgment call. And that may be difficult for some newbies, but I think more options is always better than less when it comes to role-playing. Yeah, and I, I think the flexibility is what is best. I kind of think about this in terms of I don't know what kind of creative things the players will present and 
not just players, but also game masters, right? I don't know what kind of things people will think of, and I want to give them as many tools as possible to come up with interesting scenarios. So we can talk about the future now, right? So in the third pillar, it, this works very similar to the present, where we have another seven points to assign the skills. And once again, uh, we're able to upgrade skills that have been upgraded before. In our case, uh, we've bumped up persuasion and deception to be talented. By being talented, that means that Faye now rolls a D10. Faye now rolls a D10 on persuasion and deception checks. We think that this represents the fact that Faye is an expert at these things, right? This, this is something that she is, this is her primary skill, right? This, these are the things that she is best at. In addition, we, we can bump up a couple of the other skills she's had. So uh, we bumped up projectile weapons and psychology and flight up to practice. Again, representing the fact that these are things that she's been doing more and more in her day-to-day life and are going to be important for her in the future as well. Like her, her life is heading this direction. Right? She flies a lot more. She has to deal with people's you know, deceptions <laughs> more and understand people more. That left us with three more skills to pick up. So we decided on taking on investigation, kind of representing the fact that she's going on all these bounty hunts now. Loyalty. And that one is because she's part of this crew and, you know, it's not that she would do anything for them. So, like, you know, it's not a huge, huge part of her character yet, but it is something that has grown, something that now she has, whereas before she didn't at all. And also survival. And that one mostly just because I remember uh, there's a moment where she's eating rations from, like, she's stuck on a spaceship and eating rations, right? So that, that's kind of, to me, that's a survival skill. <laughs> she's, she's willing to do whatever it takes to survive. And it is a little hard to think that she wasn't doing that before. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mechanically, we decided to add it at this point. Right, yeah. So this gives Faye a total of 14 skills. Two of them at the talented level, which means that she can roll a d10 on those checks. Three of them at the practice level, which means that she can roll a d8. And then the rest, the remaining nine skills, she can roll a d6 on. So every character that you can make in this game will have somewhere between 7 and 21 skills. Mm -hmm. You could choose to be kind of a jack-of-all-trades and just roll d6s for a bunch of skills. Or you can really try to min-max this and have seven skills that you're rolling, you know, that you're rolling D10s for. And neither are wrong, but we're trying to give you the option of what you want to do. Now, finally, one of the newer additions to the character creation phase is the style dice. If you've been following along with us, this is something that Meg had suggested a few episodes back. The style dice allows the players to represent their characters' personalities. And by choosing a sultry personality, whenever the player performs Faye's skill in a way that aligns with that sultriness, that allows her to roll an extra die, an extra D4, on top of whatever skill check she's doing. Every character in Cowboy Bebop seems to have their own distinct style, uh, whether it's vicious as ruthlessness or Jet's uh, stubbornness or Ed's quirkiness or Ein's cuteness. You know, there's, there are many options. Faye? Faye is sexy. Faye uses her feminine wiles to get what she wants. So we decided to give her the sultry style. Sultriness has multiple meanings, and it's not always about flirting to get what you want. Sometimes it's being a model or being alluring. Sometimes it's just being so charismatic, eyes are drawn to you. Yeah, I, w- I would say, yeah. No, it, it depends on your GM's discretion at that point. Like uh, like all of these things, which are kind of loose in definition, 
Yeah. Use your judgment. Your style is your style, but try not to be ridiculous about it. There will be rolls and there will be checks where your style dice will have nothing to do with the action you are taking. And that is kind of the point. Your style isn't necessarily for everything, but when you can add your style, you're going to have a noticeable addition to your role. And it, sometimes you may you may fail on that too, but that's that's kind of part of the, the charm, right? I think the most important function of the style dice is, beyond giving you that extra push that might help, is that it helps you, as a player, inhabit your character. I was thinking that the beauty of the style dice is that you're going to want to try to use it as much as possible. So that may that forces you to think about ways to use that style more. Now, one, <laughs> one may not think you can... Uh, use your sultry ability to pick a lock, but you might be able to figure it out. And I think that would, I think this is your reward. You get an extra dice to roll. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> but it's also not necessarily worth it. So you don't make a, you know, a cringe inducing thing about how you are sexy and you're shooting your gun. Like nobody needs that. <laughs> use discretion. I think that's the key. I think uh, that's the simplest thing. Yeah. The, these things are only fun when used correctly. So. It will depend table to table as well, right? So maybe your table will have a lot of fun having sultry gunfights all the time, but, but that's not for everyone, and that's something to remember. One more thing to keep in mind with all the dice rolls is that each of them has the ability to explode. So this counts for any skill that you've got. So if you are talented at persuasion and you happen to roll a 10 on your d10, that means you get to roll again at the D12 level. And that's also true about your style dice. Uh, you could fail your traditional dice roll, but your style might be so fantastic that you succeed. And that, I think, would be hilarious. That would be a wonderful moment at the table. So all style dice start at a D4. If you roll that 4... And I think that's a good overview six, of where we're at with our character six, creation process. We'll see how it works with our playtest phase. It should have enough foundation to be something that's worth playing and something to at least fiddle with. Oh, you're rolling a D20, man. Good work. Wu, do you have a uh, message for your uh, future self? Oh, boy. So, yeah, in 10 years, in 2032, I don't know, man. I guess, you know, I hope, yeah, very similar to Baby Faye here. Like, uh, I hope you're doing well. I hope that your life is, is happy. I hope that you're proud of this thing that you're making right now. Like, I mean, I don't know if, if this, did this turn into anything? That's my first question for you. Are people playing the Bebop tabletop game right now? Are you still running this game for your friends 10 years from now? I hope so, but I also hope that you're doing something that, you know, you're, you're happy with. I think that's the most important part. Uh, you know, write back to me if you can. Or, you know, time travel, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, be cool. Also, remember the secret. <laughs> don't explain what that is at all. <laughs> Legio, what's your message for your future self? That's a good question. I'd probably start off silly like, oh, well, welcome. I didn't see you come in. Uh, but but <laughs> most likely I would probably say something along the lines of just, hey, you, take a break. Also, if the machines attack, please send back uh, somebody cooler than uh, John Connor. That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. It's... I think, yeah, I think Faye had the best idea. Encouragement is the best, you know. And I think that, you know, all you can hope for is that your future self is doing better than you are doing now. And that, you know, despite how crazy this world is and how, how crazy things can be, you are persevering, right? That you are hopefully, that you are hopefully enjoying life, right? Stay tuned for our next session, where we're going to be taking a deeper look into the art of Cowboy Bebop 
and how it can apply to traditional tabletop RPG books and publications and just kind of geek out about art for a, for a week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Let us all give a cheer to the man we should thank and the reason we're here. To the handsome young fellow and savior of all. Make a scene that made sure that the walls did not fall. The giants did bellow, the giants did roar. And from the dark shadows came one we adore. We fought off the wicked, so we thank God's above. We're sending the hero who everyone loves. Hear me now! March to your desk bravely, we'll win this somehow. The giants did bellow, the giants did roar. And from the dark shadows came one we adore. We fought off the wicked, so we thank God above. We're sending the hero who everyone loves. It's the power of friendship, right? It, we did it. <laughs> we did We're it. Friends. Yeah. <laughs>